0: hello and welcome back to the show i'm liz wilson
1: i'm Christoph defoe
0: in today's episode we have a conversation with our friend sandra frazier mohrer she's a clinical mental health counselor and trauma-informed yoga facilitator and therapist but first i want to remind you that if you like our show make sure to subscribe leave a review check out our patreon and tell your friends to listen New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on all the major podcast channels. Also, be sure to check out our sponsor Cannibal & Co. located in downtown Jersey City and at shopcannibal.com. Cannibal, that's Cannibal with a K, stocks a rotating collection of goods ranging from apparel and accessories to home furnishings and fine jewelry. Cannibal weaves its forward-thinking vision together with its traditional roots to provide an expertly curated experience of unique and locally sourced finds. We're grateful to Cannibal for sponsoring our show. Sandra and I have known each other for many years, and when the Dobbs decision came down, um, I thought of her almost immediately because of the work that I know she does with women, um, especially in the birth and fertility sphere. So. I wanted to interview her and get her thoughts about um, the Roe, about Roe being overturned, but then also, you know, what are her experiences on the ground, really the the real life impact that she's seeing as a result of this decision. Please enjoy our conversation with Sandra
2: Fraser Moore.
1: Welcome to the show, Sandra. Thanks for being here. I uh, appreciate you taking the time.
2: Thanks so much for having me. i looking forward to it.
1: Awesome. Um, and also, Liz, thank you for being here, too. I mean, that just kind of goes without saying, but um, but <laughs> you thank you for being here it. as well. <laughs> we can't, get,
0: <laughs> we
2: can't get
1: rid of each other. Um, but, uh, but Sandra, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us a bit about who you are and what you do.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm a clinical mental health counselor and a trauma-informed yoga and movement facilitator. I specialize in working with perinatal mental health. Which is the time around having babies, including um, fertility treatments, postpartum, all that, and in working with trauma, and especially where those two things overlap.
1: Sounds pretty intense. Sounds like there is yeah. probably yeah. I'm <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do women like seek you out? You know, at what point would a woman contact you and start, you know, working with you? And do you work with people who are not having babies as well? Or how does that work?
2: Yeah, I do. Um, There's a little bit of variety. I'm in a private practice, so I really have pretty much total control over who I see. But I specifically chose this practice called Mindful Families because they specialize in working with perinatal mental health and with the family as a unit around kind of adding children to the family, expanding families, um, that kind of parenting, that sort of thing. So sometimes I'll get a new patient because they found us through Postpartum Support Minnesota, which is an organization in Minnesota that does what it says, right? Helps connect people with pregnancy and postpartum resources. That happens often. Sometimes it's a previous client that will send someone to me. And that could be, again, around like a loss or during fertility treatments or adoption or postpartum. Um often work with partners. So sometimes that's how I end up working with folks and couples occasionally. Um, And sometimes people bring their kids in and then we're like, actually, maybe I should be (laughs) for you. I can be your person and this person will see the kiddos. Um, So it happens in a variety of ways at a variety of different times of life.
0: That's so interesting. It's funny because after my first one, I, looking back, I a hundred percent had postpartum depression and anxiety and any time like Matt would bring it up to me every once in a while be like hey just very gently like (laughs) do you think maybe there's something going on and I just remember feeling so overwhelmed at the idea of another thing to do and like having no idea where I would even start looking for help that I just never did anything about it and um yeah so it's great to know that there's like specifically a resource that people can be like this is who you call (laughs) If you're having some postpartum or whatever the case may be.
1: Yeah, that's, I'm, both of you will have to forgive my ignorance in this area. And I'm, um, I am here to learn, I guess, in a lot of ways. Um, So uh, can you, your practice is, you said, did you say perinatal as in P-A-R-A natal? So that peri per- okay understood understood and um and so th- does that mean all of the um mental health issues around around pregnancy before pregnancy after pregnancy during pregnancy is that the gist there
2: yeah it i think most people will say like postpartum um even just the word postpartum is shorthand for postpartum depression but we know a lot more about Mental health around having babies now, and most of the time symptoms show up during pregnancy or even before. If let's say you've had a number of losses and you, or you're going through a fertility treatments and a journey that way, um, we also know it shows up with adoptions and an adoption process. So we use perinatal as sort of the much more umbrella term to include all of that. Also perinatal, we actually wanted if we did have like a little acronym, it's PMADS, P M A D S. Um, for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, because more often than depression, we actually see postpartum or perinatal anxiety, um, perinatal OCD, and perinatal psychosis on occasion, too. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: Yeah. yeah. Imagine that, paying attention to um, women's mental health, guys. a oh, shock. What a world we're living in. Yeah. It, it,
1: it really is a shock, isn't it? And I, it's so it's so awful. Right. And such a male dominated, you know, culture and, and such a patriarchy, right? Like these issues just, I mean, here I am sitting here as a guy who thinks himself is pretty progressive and a pretty thoughtful guy. And, and this stuff is frankly, uh, just, I don't know anything about it. I mean, like I, I, women's stories are not told um, so so frequently or just not told. So, I mean, I, yeah. Wow. Um, I really, really, really appreciate you. uh really appreciate you being here. And it uh, sounds like you're doing some Super, super, super important work. Um, and again, um, oh, one more question around that. Do you find, uh, are most of your clients um, uh, more affluent people? Do you find, is there a range? Uh, do you find that there's more different, like which demographics do you find that you are more more working with or is it just a mix?
2: That's a good question. Um, because of where my clinic is located, we do tend to have more like middle class, to upper class women, um, mostly women, some other um, gender identifying folks who are birthing folks as well. But I've had the privilege of working with a PMADS, Perinatal Mood and Anxiety Disorder Program at a hospital in Minneapolis. Um, for about three years, I was there four days a week doing movement groups. Um, and that is a really diverse group of parents. Um, And that is a higher level of care. So that is people with more acute symptoms. Sometimes they'll step down from being like hospitalized to being in that program. It's a partial hospitalization program. And then they have like a group therapy outpatient program. So I actually send a lot of clients there when I think that they maybe need more care than I can give them once or twice a week. Um, So I have a really great relationship with that program. And in that program, I see a lot of, a lot of different folks and that spans the um spectrum of income, of backgrounds. You know, in Minneapolis, right, we've got a lot of Hmong and Somali parents. Um, so we'll see a lot of those folks in there. And that is, I'm I'm really lucky to get to work with that program because I would prefer to see a lot more diverse group of women because we know that low-income women will have higher rates of perinatal mood anxiety disorders for the same reasons they have higher rates of depression, anxiety in general, all of those things, the stresses of living in a lower income situation. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, that's um that 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 makes sense to me. Um and uh, uh Liz, did, you, did you want to follow up there or do you want to um I just want to you know, I mean, I, I have know, so I many wanna... I
0: would I feel like we could do a whole episode just on like me asking you questions about what you do. So I don't know if that's super <laughs> relevant, but like I just I'm so interested in the idea of like movement and like is it called somatic the- uh, therapy like when it's like the something th- you would do like body work to process trauma and stuff like that. Yeah, I just find that so interesting. And so that's the kind of stuff that you would do in the hospital.
2: Yeah, I did groups that were focused just on that. Um, uh, They since like changed how they managed the program and like didn't have the same funding anymore. So they were like, well, we can't pay you to do this anymore. Um, But we did a little like, we sort of did informal surveys there and the feedback from moms was so good. I think particularly with perinatal, the experience is so much in your body. You really can't separate that out. Um, whereas I think we, we can try to more easily in other kind of times of life or situations um, that it just feels so obviously relevant to bring your body into treatment. And what we know about trauma, and this could be its own episode all on its own, is that um, talking about trauma doesn't necessarily help. So, and sometimes actually actively harmed. So, we need other ways of healing trauma. And it has to do with accessing parts of our brain that don't have language and aren't really conscious. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm.
0: that's so, yeah. And I just feel like as women, too, in our culture, we are taught to disassociate from our bodies, you know, from a very early age, and that it's about um, like creating. An object to be presented to the world. It's and and that means ignoring the signals that your body is sending you. Like high heels. I'm sorry, those are the devil's work. Yeah, but agreed. women suck it up because it's how you're going to get a man. <laughs> 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 um, and I think so. Then especially in the net, I really felt that in pregnancy that it was the first time I had had a lot of body dysmorphia. I'd had eating disorder. And then I had my first child and it was like a switch just flipped for me because I saw my body as something completely different. I saw it, how incredible it was, the things that it could do, that it just did all this amazing stuff Without I didn't do, I didn't tell it to do anything. It just knew what to do. And to me, it, it was so, it was such a huge shift in how I felt about my body. And it like forces you into this connection with your body. Um, but if you don't like know how to process that, or if you have a lot of physical trauma that goes along with birth, which I think even the least, the, the, the quote unquote easiest births have a level of trauma because something significant and frightening is happening to your body. That you don't have control over that you don't have control over. And we're not like, we don't live in a culture where you're surrounded by that, by birth and um, it's not normalized in the same way. it's It's something that's scary. You know, we grow up thinking like it's you screaming in a hospital bed with lots of people with masks standing around you and mm-hmm. you have no control over your body. Um, yeah, so i so I think you're right that having that um, physical connection with any kind of therapy is crucial when it comes to
2: um birth and pregnancy and everything around it. I have so many thoughts about what you just said. Um, (laughs) I'll try and just be like brief and touch on the two things that stood out to me. So I did work in eating disorder treatment, providing yoga services for residential eating disorder treatment for adults and adolescents for about two years. So I also have all this experience with eating disorders and that shows up in my practice a lot, too. Um, And so that is a thing, right? When we're talking about like body dysmorphia, um, the need to like restrict to be small to not take up space in the world Um, feels really hard and challenging and overlaps with what happens my body's now out of my control in a different way Um, and the thing about trauma is that it's essentially change or things that happen to us that take away our control and it creates the sense of helplessness Um, and so we're really setting birthing folks up for that in pregnancy and birth in the United States in particular because we constantly tell them that they can't make decisions on their own, um, that they don't know they're not the expert on their own experience, that their pain isn't real, um, that it's normal to have pain after you have a baby. Like, yeah, I have pain with sex. I've got pelvic floor pain, but that's just what happens. No. Just suck it up. Yeah, no, that's not okay. Right. And so we are we have all this messaging about like how this isn't you have no say and no agency. And that's essentially a setup for trauma. So we're, um, we're pretty much guaranteeing it. Yeah.
0: Totally. You can't trust your body, right? You're completely, it's, it's not something that you can listen to and trust what it's saying. So, yeah. which is
2: also why people don't get good help.
0: Absolutely. And when you feel, when you're pregnant and you feel like your body is out of your control, it's your first experience of feeling like that, right? It's like, yeah. and you don't trust your body. So it's terrifying. If you trusted your body, I feel like it would be a much different experience.
2: And now we're back to the patriarchy, right?
1: Yeah, yeah there <laughs> we, we go. We you know. end
2: up there a lot on this We podcast. end up back up <laughs> there, which is the perfect it's setup almost, for talking about
0: Roe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like it's baked into the system, guys. So weird. So,
2: so weird. weird. Yeah. Yeah. Go
1: figure. Yeah. Patriarchy and white supremacy. Those are two big themes on this show. I, mm-hmm. I was. Th- I, thank you so much, both, for sharing. I. I as i'm thinking about this uh, i don't know if you all saw um the one with john hamm the um the about the 60s um what's the name of the show
2: oh
0: mad men
1: mad men right so he his 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 what which is just wow but he his uh, his wife right i can't remember her name now but um we the betty. the character what's it, what was what <laughs> yeah, was the character's name betty, betty yeah. draper betty draper the, betty draper yeah. Yeah. um and so um I don't even remember his name. Um, but anyways, Don a long Draper. time ago. Don Draper. Okay. All right. Thank Liz. you. Bring it all back. Liz Bring it all back, Liz. Appreciate that. Like
2: Liz the fan. Yeah.
0: <laughs> These kinds of things stick in my head. Celebrity stuff, television movies. I don't know why.
1: <laughs> uh, but I remember he, you know, she goes to the psychiatrist right because she's having these these yeah. difficulties or whatever right she's a uh-huh. dizzy dame um you know <laughs> like uh, you know what i mean and they bring her to the psychiatrist and mm-hmm. you know and she's tell talking to psychiatrists or psychologists as if it's going to be you know it's just between the two of them and then immediately afterward the psychologist calls calls don draper right and they have this conversation about her and so as you you all were thinking talking about I, I was reminded of that, um, and and how when you all were talking about just the, the the lack of agency that women have historically had in their own physical bodies, and that yeah. is a perfect way to segue into yeah. mm-hmm. the Dobbs decision, right? Because yes. here is just like the most modern version of this. So, um, uh, Dobbs, the Dobbs decision has had far-reaching and and devastating. Um, impacts on women all over the country. Um, And and additionally, leaving the issue up to the states has resulted in a lot of turmoil and confusion. State by state, the legislation varies greatly, and even within each state. And lawsuits and the like make for an ever-changing landscape. So Sandra, can you tell us uh, what abortion laws currently look like in your state?
2: Yeah. Um, So I'm lucky to be in Minnesota um, because it is legal in Minnesota. And then in response to the the Roe decision, um, there was a state Supreme Court case, I think called Doe v. Minnesota, um, that happened, I can't remember when it was, I want to say June of this year. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, that codified it as part of the state constitution, as a, as a state constitutional right in Minnesota. Um, and it got rid of some of the things um, that were required before, which is like notice, notifying both parents um, if they're a minor, um, the 24-hour waiting period, um, just kind of decreasing some of the restrictions on access, um, and the bans after first trimester. And Governor Walls also um, made You know, commitment to not cooperate with other states that wanted information about people who would travel to Minnesota to seek abortion care and other kinds of of health care. Because we are surrounded by a number of states that have much different kinds of laws. Um, So, like Wisconsin and Iowa both have, I think, 21 week bans, um, need parent permission, have the 24 hour waiting period. North Dakota had a six-week trigger law, I, I think. Last time I heard, it's kind of being held up in court at the moment. So I don't know if it's gone into effect. Um, and then South Dakota bans it altogether, except for the life of the mother. Wow. So, just by lawyers while the mother is like, bleeding out. Yeah, which is such an insane... <laughs> standard because life of the mother, I mean, not being a medical provider, right? Like what is that actually, when are we at risk of losing life of the mother? And that doesn't even, like when we're just talking about like immediate loss, we're not even talking about like loss to suicide. So, Mm. Or or we just talk of about? the mother. Yeah, health is not important. Uh, it's just whether or not you live, technically, by, like, technical living standards.
1: <laughs> by technical living standards, right? And that was exactly what I wanted to piggyback on, right? Uh, how do we define life of the mother, right? Because, I mean, that's a very narrow – what they're talking about there is a very narrow idea about what the life of the mother is. Like, really, literally, whether, whether the mother is literally heart-beating or not heart-beating. I mean, what about – the mother's, the woman's, uh, set aside of her as a mother, just the woman's, the individual's life and what value, how their life is going to change, um, by by a law that's not that that over which they have no choice, right? Um, that kind of life, right? The broader definition of life is just sort of cast out the window in these in, in, yeah. in these decisions.
0: Yeah, or if they lose their uterus because of complications right. due to holding onto this baby that is not viable, or for whatever reason, and lose the chance to have future children if they choose to. And even if they don't, that will
2: that wreaks havoc on a woman's body. Sure. I can't tell you how, how many implications this has that people have no understanding of or no idea about or don't really want to know. And they want it to be very black and white, like it's somebody's yeah. life or it's the other person's life. And it's really nothing at all like that. Mm. Um, and I, I, I can talk a lot about some of the ways, um, it complicates decisions for the, like decisions and outcomes and all kinds of things for the population that I work with. Um, but it's everywhere, right? So we're talking about like access to birth control gets limited. Um, people don't get care for ectopic pregnancies, which are not viable and can kill you. Um, and, but but it's considered an abortion so the term abortion is a medical term that applies to like a whole bunch of things um when i had a miscarriage that's considered a spontaneous abortion in my medical chart um if you if you terminate the ectopic pregnancy which is a pregnancy that's happening outside of the uterus there's no chance of survival still considered an abortion um if your baby is not alive in, is in uterus is not alive, but has like that heartbeat, which is really just like electrical impulse activity. Um, they they that's considered an abortion, and that's that's banned in some states now. Um, so you might end up with an infection that kills you because you're carrying an incomplete miscarriage, right? But there's a heartbeat, so they can't do anything about it because of those heartbeat laws. And then there's the personhood laws. So now, for calling a fetus a person, um, they. Uh, When we have fertilized embryos, so for my clients who are doing fertility treatments and have a number of fertilized embryos, those are now considered potentially people. So what does that mean for when we know that a few of them aren't viable? Do I have to transplant all of them? Do I get to terminate some of them because they're not viable? Am I then going to be charged with murder? If they're being held in a facility that's in a different state where it's legal, is that okay? Does my surrogate um who's coming from a different state are they able to terminate a pregnancy if it threatens their life do i get to make that decision <laughs> i mean it is so unbelievably complicated and i just mm-hmm. think people really don't know understand what they've done <laughs> or maybe they no. do and they're sadistic i don't know uh, or they, they don't give both. a fuck about women they don't give a fuck yeah i think it's a little bit of both <laughs> i think it's a little bit of both all those things
1: yeah that that's the, you know that's that's really interesting because i i didn't you know again I I do think that we talk tend to talk about this in in the political realm. Certainly, these in, in terms of sound bites, right? And um and the conservative side of this issue has uh, they always I, I say this from time to time. Conservatives have like a a built in advantage because first of all, like they they can come up with sound bites that are that sound intuitive, right? You know that like right because it's not it's not based on science. It's based on sort of like just ideas and 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 uh and really fundamentally like a, a reaction to progress right that's fundamentally what it comes from which is a very lizard brain thing right so it's it, it's very so you can come up with things like a heartbeat bill sounds intuitive well well yeah well if it has a heartbeat then it's basically alive right but then like as you're saying it's far more complicated than that and it's 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 hard on this on the science side of this on the liberal side of this because we always have our tendency to like no 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 look it's much more complicated than that and here's why and yeah. that doesn't that doesn't go well in a, in a soundbite it just doesn't it doesn't make you know. a bumper
0: sticker well, in, no. it does not and in general life conservatives conservatives are not fans of gray areas you know they like things to be very this or that and they don't like exceptions to the rules so. Um, yeah. And, and it's it's a little too complex, <sighs> but we know they're good about rallying around a soundbite.
2: So I grew up in a very conservative family, um, even to extended extended family. So there's been a huge deconstruction process for me around all of that to kind of get where I'm at. Because all the things that I do for a living were things that I was taught when I was young are like demonic so (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yoga and therapy and medication and just like any of those things to kind of arrive where I'm at is kind of a kind of a crazy place to be so but also I very much understand my clients maybe are more religious then right because I understand the kind of language that they're hearing and what they're wrestling with um sure because I've been there yeah Yeah.
1: that's interesting that you bring that up because I have I have a very conservative Um, upbringing as well and the Mm -hmm. the deconstruction process that you're talking about that is a lifelong process i think and it's still absolutely still going so it sounds like you 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 get that i think liz does to it also do uh, yeah forgive
0: me christoph but i i just want to in case sandra doesn't know this christoph grew up in a cult so i did not know that (laughs) not just religious but extreme got it extreme. extreme
1: And so like, oh, when you're talking about like demonic stuff and like, I mean, that was, that was how I saw, grew up seeing the entire outside world, right? Like anything that wasn't in our little hub of like Mm -hmm. the good guys was Mm -hmm. just those evil people out there that are eating babies and like all this like right like but seriously like this crazy crazy Mm -hmm. stuff you're just like which oh i know i mean Mm -hmm. i I was young i mean you 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 know i I just did you just do what your parents tell you to do right i mean that's Mm -hmm. what everybody
2: does that's what parents (laughs) that's what you do that's how growing up goes right, exactly. mm-hmm. right. Exactly. and then you grow up and
0: you go to therapy and you find out oh yeah. not everybody else lived the exact same life
2: that i did yeah, yeah. you start telling your story not- and your therapist face no. goes like oh and you're like oh that's not a normal okay other people didn't do that okay that's right. <laughs> no. then you no, end up totally, on deconstruction totally. tiktok because you're like oh there's other people <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be
1: like that, though. It'd be like that.
2: <laughs>
1: um, um, look, so Sandy, as a mm-hmm. mental health provider, uh, especially one who works with women, um, mm-hmm. can you? I guess we've really talked ta- touched on this a bit, but can you talk about the real world impact of Dobbs? Like, what are you yeah. seeing on the front lines, if anything?
2: Yeah. Um, well, like I said, we're we're lucky in Minnesota that we know we have this protected, at least for the time being, um, but it still impacts everybody. And I know that the medical providers that I I work with are, of course, have, have had an increase in um, patients coming from out of state to see them. As a mental health provider, we have a really stupid law um, in this country where I can't see someone who is out of state. Um, so I can't like treat somebody in South Dakota for example Um, if they come here move here live here or have like a residence here I can but if they live somewhere else or travel somewhere else I can't Um, which I find increasingly just extremely frustrating Um, but nonetheless um, it does impact my clients here too and their loved ones and I mean honestly when I heard or the decision was leaked, the first thing that I thought about was the suicide rate. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death postpartum. It's like 20% of death postpartum are from suicide. Um, I've worked with a number of patients that are suicidal. I mean, I do it all the time, actually. Um, And and one of the reasons why I had to reschedule the podcast was because I had a patient in crisis. I had to get into the hospital and I was wiped out from it. So that was the first thing that I thought about. And we know that that suicide rate is higher for women of color. Um, so it's going to, of course, as all things like this do disproportionately affect them. And we already have a, a like a rising maternal mortality rate. I checked the numbers on this thinking about it for today. Cause I was like, I want to get my numbers right on this mm-hmm. when I, they <laughs> asked me about it. Um, mm-hmm. So the maternal mortality rate, in the U S this is talking about, um, was 9.8 per 100,000 live births in 2000. And as of 2014, it's 21.5 per 100,000 live births. And then the suicide suicidality rate, which also includes like thinking about suicide, planning it and self-harm. Um, so maybe not a successful, which is a terrible word, but like a completed suicide, but like all the steps that get you there from 2006 to 2017, it Tripled among Black and low-income women wow. and birthing folks, and of course, if you have already a diagnosis of depression or anxiety, or you have that comorbid, and it's not diagnosed, your risk is even
1: higher.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That it, those numbers are astonishing. And I, you know, one well, thing I've been thinking a lot about, and it's a dovetails of what you're talking about, as you, as we've said, like people of color, women of color, uh, people of color who 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 are pregnant or but but in general, you know, people of color, and particularly women of color, are, um, are 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 almost always on the butt end of all of these policies, right? That is where, and and it, it's to the point where I've, you know, as I've, I've been thinking a lot about poverty recently, and just how, you know, what people don't I think don't get is is that is is it is itself like. It, this is a, this is just going to sound fucked up, but I don't mean it this way. But it's like it is itself like a mental illness. It is not like right, and I don't mean that like to be poor is to be a, to be mentally ill. But what I mean is that it is a mental burden, right? That yes. That is put like, and people don't understand like that is people like oh they don't have money they're just like me but they don't have as much money. No, it's not right. that right. It is it is it is an additional incredibly heavy burden, and that, and and I've been impoverished in my life before, so. <laughs> When I think about that and I, and I, and it's like you know to, to when you talk about suicide, when you talk about the the core the, the core the the co um, <laughs> I, I I see that. I mean you know I, I I hear that, and of course, as we know, black and brown women are much more likely to be poor disproportionately anyway to be, yeah. to, be to be poor and it's, so when you hear, when you hear when I hear those numbers going up like that and and we and the policies have been squeezing. Poor people, poor folks, and um, and and middle class folks too, but poor folks and people t- sliding down into poverty, right? Um, since since Reagan, yes, but particularly since the Bush tax cuts followed by the Trump tax cuts and just slashing services all over the place. Um, so it's just uh, I don't know where I'm going with that, other than to say it's just horrible.
2: <laughs> That's so one of the <laughs> primary know? reasons people seek abortion care too. Um, if it's not for like a health reason, which the majority are um the it's it's a financial reason right it's a how am I going to care for this person reason um and what we know is that you know even think about in some of these I have so much to say about what you just said Christoph. I'm trying to like organize (laughs) my thoughts um the first thing that came to my mind was uh aces are you familiar with the aces score aces study Liz is nodding so um adverse at yeah, adverse childhood experiences, is what that stands for and it was this like big study that was done. I want to say in that really 2000, and I can't remember what year it was on. Um basically what it said was if you have these experiences as a child, it increases your risk for all kinds of problems, like suicide, um substance use, um like heart conditions, other like health problems and those some of those events were like growing up in poverty, having a parent in, um, in prison, um, witnessing abuse, um, experiencing abuse, right? Like all the, but poverty is one of those risk factors for a number of things. Um, so that was that. And I also like the idea of how this relates to Roe too. And like another part of that we haven't talked about is like that, if I'm adding on another, child to the family that I already can't support, what kind of stress that creates. Um, If I'm, it's very traumatic. And then add to that, right? Like the risk that if I'm a black woman in America, I'm four times as likely to die in childbirth as white women. So, I mean, there's all of those pieces, plus the people who shouldn't be having babies because their doctors have advised them not to, and they have tried to not get pregnant and that birth control has failed. Um, And then we, and we don't give them mental health care. And then we end up in those really scary, like psychosis situations with parents. Um, And those are also fatal. So when we're talking about life, right? where where, yeah, we talking and we're
1: talking it? about life right right uh, and again right the definition of life right the definition of life right if you if your life if, if if your definition of life is like this narrow and it literally just means whether you are alive or dead then that's one thing but like when when, but the more broader more vibrant the more practical idea of what of how we define life has to be well-being right it has to be well-being also that yeah. has to be a fact well, i
2: think it's here.
0: pretty clear that um, Republicans don't care about our quality of life. It doesn't seem to be a priority unless you're a rich white dude.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: um, then you get all the tax cuts, guys. Just yeah. keep all that money. Makes <laughs> it's fine. It'll trickle down, Liz. It's fine. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> but yeah, there's Obviously. a real. It makes me think of like um, this idea in the corporate world, right, where like your employees will stay with you and work. Harder and more efficiently if you treat them well and pay them well. But so many people, you know, in the managerial, well, in the bosses, let's just say, they can't get behind that idea. They don't understand that people being happy will benefit them. Right. And it's like that in the broader, in like, like in this, like, you mean if we provide mental health services to everybody, that that will improve the entire country?
1: Right. What? Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> Liz, a concept that's there's hard like uh
2: this is a total side note and I cannot remember where I read it. It might have been as part of the 1619 project but talking about how like corporate functioning or like how things that kind of whole institute, right? And how that's organized was is based on like um slave plantations, right? So they're Oh, definitely. Right? Oh, yeah. So like workers are not really valuable and not really that interested no. in like how they're doing because no. I can just get another one. So exactly. Anyway, that's vital.
1: That is a side note that we that we could do an entire show on because this is one of my biggest pet peeves. Do you are when your boss says jump, you say how high? Middle of the night, weekend, it doesn't matter. And it's like where is and and the idea is like oh well you could just quit and get another job right but it's a little more complicated than that isn't it especially when we in when, when we're in a recession every three years um that gets a little more complicated than that so anyway yeah that top down structure um it's with dehumanizing a big, with a big white boss at the top male boss at the top right I mean it it is it is so that same structure that's fascinating that you brought that up and I think that's exactly right um to, to piggyback on your side note <laughs> totally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, totally.
2: Well, I think that it actually connects a little bit too, in like a weird roundabout way, to what we are like other things we're talking about. Because if we're thinking about the medical system as an institution on its own and the racism inherent in that, right? Because we lose more birthing black mothers, then than, um, your risk is much higher of dying just outset. So we're talking about life and death, right? We've now increased the risk of death for so many people. Um, and that system, like we talked about in the very beginning, was about how disempowering that is already. Um, it's because it's designed to make you a really good patient. So I um, don't really want to give you options um, for the most part um, because that's a lot less convenient for me. And I was a birth doula of yeah, I was a birth doula for about four years before I went back to grad school to become a therapist. Um, and I will not get into all the details of the trauma that I witnessed for the sake of not re-traumatizing people. Um, but we'll suffice it to say that, um, of course, there were great providers that I got to work with. and I And I witnessed births that were really amazing, but also some really, really terrible trauma happening like in front of me as providers would do things that were In my definition, sexual assault. Um, Mm -hmm. Jesus. You know, exams without permission, um, telling people that they didn't need um, pain medication for getting their stitches, you know, all kinds of things that basically just said, like, how you feel or what you're doing doesn't really matter. My whole job is to, like, get this baby out and everyone's heartbeat to be happening.
0: Yeah. Well, you're literally a piece of meat. And the more compliant you are, the easier you are for me to work. Totally. In. Yeah. And that's why I think birth is traumatic
2: in hosp, especially in hospitals. It reinforces yeah. the idea that you can't trust yourself either. I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And totally. again, I mean, I had a hospital birth with the twins. That was, that was wonderful. Um, it mm-hmm. does happen, but we're talking like systemically, right? It's kind of the approach is that this is an emergency and i'm expert so i have to deliver your ba- even yeah. the language we use right like the doctor delivers yep. the baby no
0: all right No, the, <laughs> the lady has- the uterus delivers the baby right
2: but that's not not okay yeah.
0: and also with the twins sandra like mm-hmm. you're someone who's at that point very well versed in all of that and able to advocate for yourself True, you know? yeah. i so you think about someone who's never had a baby before or any mm. of that kind of thing and
1: Especially yeah. if you're young, right? Maybe you yes. were 19 years old. Maybe you didn't mean to get pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you're 17. Mm-hmm. You didn't mean to get pregnant. And now you're in a state where you're forced to have this pregnancy. Right, right? Didn't And didn't want to Right, exactly. You didn't want to be pregnant in the first place. This is, and now you have to do this. And now your life has changed. And now, by the way, you're going to have to pay for this somehow, um, right? You're in the hospital yeah. and this all, all this on and on and on and on. These problems yeah. start to cascade. And as you've been saying, both of you have been saying, it just sounds like, you know, the the health and life and the well-being of the individual person is uh, is just not centered at in in this system right and I mean this is I mean and I don't want to get on my on my anti-capitalist uh, uh, horse <laughs> here can. like uh, but okay. you know but I mean but like, I mean, this is, I've, I've posted something recently, it's like, you know, capitalism bastardizes it just, it pounds every service down to the lowest common denominator, right? So m- you get mostly bad movies, right? You get hmm. mostly <laughs> bad food, right? You get mostly <laughs> bad music, you get mostly bad yeah. music, right? Because it gets pushed down to the lowest yeah. possible common denominator. You get, so- And healthcare. The the, the Healthcare. Yep. That's what my point is, healthcare. That's the cheapest they can possibly do it. That is the incentive. That is what capitalism does, to do as much as you can with as little as possible. That is what it does. That it so you know, and, and it affects everything. As I always say, capitalism poisons everything. It does because it's just the the the, the profit motive, t- gets in the way of the of the well being motive, and it's just two. And those things are sometimes those coexist, but a lot of times they don't. A lot of times they don't.
2: And at the same mm. time that we're saying, like we're creating systems that allow people not to have any agency, we're telling them that any failure to thrive in that system is an individual problem. Yes. So when- (laughs) You can't make it up. Yeah. So in in relationship to like the birthing situation, right? Like if if we do an induction and it doesn't, it's not successful, we call it a failed induction. We're like, Mm -hmm. you failed at this. Um, (laughs) If we, right? If women don't get the birth that they wanted because they have some information and they try to ask for some things, they feel to blame for that um and then they go on to parent from a place where they're feeling like they are insufficient, right? inadequate, disempowered. And yeah. so essentially what we're doing is treating intergenerational trauma. um epigenetically, right? where this gets passed down through families. um and if we're disempowering people generation after generation, you get this all kinds of complicated issues and um so I really feel like I, while one of the reasons I love my job so much is that I, helping to interrupt that cycle of intergenerational trauma.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting.
1: That's, that's so that's so awesome. Um, we are uh, nearing the end of the show here, um, and something else we think is important to focus on is action, uh, both on the personal and community level. And I know that the overturning of Roe has had devastating effects on the women in my life, um, as it has. In yours. And um, how do you cope with the stress and the mental trauma that is caused? We talked just about intergenerational trauma, but we're also sort of, aren't we all sort of dealing with trauma ourselves right now as we deal with these sort of devastating rulings?
2: Um, So when we talk about trauma, it's essentially a disconnection from self or from, like you talked about um, dissociating, Liz, right? Like it's a disconnection from self and that causes disconnection from the people in our world, our communities, our loved ones. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we see in perinatal mental health when we have experiences of trauma is that um, it interrupts like bonding with with children and babies, right? So, or it can make that harder. Um, so I think that when we're holding space for these things and we're all sort of collectively experiencing trauma, what We need to focus on is the collective care. So we talk a lot about self-care and everybody's like, again, supposed to be really responsible for like taking care of yourself. And we do need to do things that take care of ourselves. Um, But we also need to rely on each other a little bit more than we typically do. And I think that's really radical. I think it's radical to take rest. I think that's very anti-capitalist and anti-patriarchal. Um, and I think the more that we, the more that we invest in collective care, um, the more spaces there'll be for allowing that trauma to digest. Because trauma is essentially like something that gets stuck because it's so difficult, um, and we need space and and permission and tools to help that digest and become more integrated, and then we feel more connected to each other as well that's really general and abstract, but I think that like, you know, you can take that to a real personal level as well. Like that means I reach out for help more often than I typically do. I normalize going to therapy, um, for the people that I love. I, you know, choose, I say no to things. I, I choose to support people in ways that actually help them and not just as things I think that they should need. All those kinds of things help us to collectively heal from drama.
1: Oh, that's that's so awesome. That's an awesome answer. That's like <laughs> oh, an awesome answer.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Honestly, I I think that's really consistent with what we talk about here on the show all the time, right? Like radical self-care, right? Radical and, and being there for the people that you love, right? And that that you that are close to you and but being there in a way that yeah. they need you to be there, that, you know, what you that. Just said, yeah. that is so important, not the way that you want to be there for them, but in mm-hmm. the way that they need. And that t- that means you have to look inside of yourself and then look out, right? And be like, look, let me uh, think about what can I really do that this person needs or to to, to assist? So I'm sorry, I might have cut you off there, Liz. Uh, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say something along those lines too. Um, so so one of my goals on this podcast is to be radically vulnerable because I think like you know the more vulnerable we can be, the more we can connect with each other and so um like you were saying, normalizing going to therapy and that kind of thing, but um in my journey, I've been recently discovering um what a codependent I am. And so when you said that about doing things for people that they actually need, what, what not what you think they should need, that's like a classic <laughs> codependent trait is being like, rather than asking people and believing them when they tell you what would be helpful to you or actually hearing them when they ask you for something, you instead live in your own head and you decide based on your interpretation of what's happening from what you can see and you decide what they need and you do that for them. Um, So I love the idea of like actually having like real open and vulnerable conversations with people and finding out what they need because it's not an easy question. I think a lot of us are not um, trained to actually listen to what we need, right? We dismiss these basic needs like, I need to rest today. No in in capitalism, in a capitalist right. culture, you don't rest. you have to right. be productive all the time.
2: You hit on something really important, Liz, that I was like kind of getting at too, right In order for me to be able to um, provide collective care or like support someone in the way that they need, um, I generally have to be comfortable with the things that I need. So I need to kind of practice naming what I actually need, and I can't tell you how much of my work. Is actually that giving people permission and skills and kind of holding space for us to name what I need, because especially as women, um, other genders, too, but especially as women, I think we're really told um, that our needs are not important, especially as mothers, um, and they don't actually matter or that they kind of matter and that a massage should be enough for you to feel better and um, So you should, (laughs) yeah, you should just be fine now because you took a shower today. Um, Like the standards are so low. And so getting to getting to um, say what I need can also actually help other people have permission to say what they really need. Um, And then we can actually meet the needs, you know, instead of talking about something else. Right. Instead of it being about criticism or. Um, You know, when I'm feeling really critical and judgmental and, and I'm and resentful of other people around me, often it's because I don't have a need. Or I have a need that's not really being met. Yeah.
0: Your needs are not being met. Correct. Right, right. Absolutely. Yep. Very, very, very wise words. Yeah. I've recently had a very, very um, eye opening journey in that way. And especially in terms of having a partner, you know, being in a partnership as I am and being a mother who we're literally taught that. Not only are mothers' needs not important, but in fact, if you assert your needs, you are a bad mother because what mothers need to do is always have their kids at, you know, in number one. Um, And you're lucky if you're like fourth on the list of things that are prioritized. Um, And so for me, recognizing that needs other than like, I'm literally at max capacity of stress, and so I need five minutes. That was the only kind of need that I felt, quote unquote, valid expressing where in reality, what I need is like I need a bunch of time to just like hang out by myself, mm-hmm. not talk to anybody. I need to like binge watch a show on Netflix. I need to like, you know, just lit- it doesn't have to be a big thing, but it felt like. Too much. It felt selfish, and I really had to work on that programming mm. that I have as to what a quote unquote good mother uh, yeah. is.
2: Yeah, you hit and on does. since I know I know we're trying to wrap up, but like there's so yeah. many things that you keep saying that I keep thinking I have thoughts about. Um, but the but <laughs> that like uh, the definition of a good mother is something I talk a lot about at work too, right? Um, and we think that a measure of how I'm doing as a good parent is that my kids are happy and that they're healthy, and I actually have control over neither of those things. Um, My kids are not going to be happy all the time. My job is to help them understand their feelings and know what to do when they feel them. Um, They're not going to be healthy. I work with a lot of parents who have kids with chronic illnesses and like really severe disabling conditions. Um, So if I'm measuring my my job as a parent, right, like how am I doing Um, by how healthy my kids are? A lot of people would fail at that, that test. Um, that can't be. That can't be the judge. So if it's not those things, which we keep being told that it is, and we should sacrifice everything so that my kids are happy and healthy, and that's like a terrible measure. Like where? what is our measure, right? What is our standard? One mom said to me, if I can't make everybody happy, how do I choose? How do I know? How do I pick one? And I was like, oh, 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 oh the good news is it's you. You get to pick you. Like you get to decide. <laughs> You get make yourself happy. because also you literally you literally
0: cannot make other people happy that's like saying you're going to make someone else's heartbeat like
2: the only people who control their feelings we can are the do a who whole episode so about like motherhood it. parenting mm-hmm. like identity value mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff um i could talk about mm-hmm. it for, for days and days and days but that is there's so much there
0: yeah well maybe you'll have to yeah. you'll
2: have to come back
0: we're gonna to have to bring you back because I could really <laughs> dig into that too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I've, I think it would be so great to do a show on parenting and motherhood in particular, but parenting and uh, and just because I, I think that is, I think that's one of those issues that uh, you know, it, it's like it's it, we talk about intergenerational trauma things that are not really talked about, right? It's just sort of like you know, it's supposed to happen through osmosis, and you feel bad at, from what I, I'm not a parent, but you under from what I understand, you feel badly if your parent if if, if you parents frequently think that they're not doing enough, that they're not being good parents. And, and it's like, no one talks about it. Right. It's like, it's like women, I've, I've, I've heard this too. Women get pregnant and then it's like, Oh wait, this is what this is like. Mm-hmm. How come yeah. nobody talks totally. to me about this? Right. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh, did you, you Right.
2: I sometimes resent my kids. Correct. Right. assholes uh, must be because I'm a bad mom. Actually, everybody does that. <laughs> so you're a human, right? And instead of saying like, I want my, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think is really, um, again, how it points to the intergenerational trauma is that when you become a parented, you suddenly are forced to reflect on how you were parented too. And all kinds of things come up with that good, bad, all of it. Um, and then you're like inner child, right? Like your younger self has a whole lot of feelings about the things that your kids are doing. Um, and it, it gets like, gets really complicated, confusing my feelings for my kids feelings. Right. Um, and like their experience is not my experience and all of that stuff right and we think like what i need to do when my kids upset or they're having a hard time or they do something wrong is like stay there and like do the thing and like calm myself down and just be calm and nice all the time in reality what i get to do is show my kid like oh mom needs mom needs to take a couple deep breaths like i need five minutes because i'm overwhelmed correct and then we show them how to manage their overwhelming feelings (laughs) right that's right. That's right. We show
0: them mommy and daddy are humans and it's okay to be yeah. messy and human and maybe sometimes say and do the
2: wrong thing and repair, we can repair the damage. So next and podcast, okay. we're going to talk about rupture and repair intergenerational <laughs> trauma. Perfect.
1: <laughs> I love it. Sounds I absolutely great. love it. Love um, it. Well, yeah. and just before you leave, is there anything that we can ask you? Uh, we'd like to ask if there's um, anything that our listeners um, in our community, can um, you know? Can do to help? Like, if, if is there donations? Do You have any um, organizations that you suggest that we that we donate oh, to or anything like
2: that? I probably should have looked at some more detailed things Fine, about that. Not. Yeah, I think that like mm-hmm. there's probably local organizations. Like, if we're talking about perinatal mental perinatal mental health, which I know we were talking about kind of row, but obviously this is impacted in a huge way. There, are, there is um, Postpartum Support International, which is. Really, it's a national organization, but they provide programming and free groups. Um, and those things are not considered therapy because so that they can go across state lines. They can be virtual, um, but they also oh, okay. can connect people with perinatal mental health providers. So you can also look in your states. Obviously here in Minnesota, we talked about um, postpartum support Minnesota, which is really perinatal support Minnesota, started as postpartum support. Um, but that pro- they provide like groups and support for parents and connect people with, with mental health and health professionals um, if they're needing that, right? So I think that organizations that are doing that, organizations that are providing abortion care and organizations that I can't think of the names are, that help people travel to states like mine um, to get that care, Mm -hmm. Uh, also the places we should focus Mm -hmm. that energy right now sure okay yeah we can put some links
0: on uh, the on our show notes and uh, yeah if you think of any particular organization so you can always just send them along after the fact
2: yeah
1: well, that um, that's super super helpful, and um, that was just a lot of fun. The entire thing was a lot of fun, and um, even though it's uh, you know these are hard topics to talk about, we're talking about really serious uh, serious stuff. But um, it's nice to be able to cut up a little bit and and have a good time um, also because, like you said, I mean, I think that's a lot about a lot of the, the community, a lot of the things that we talk about here a lot as well as like the importance of, and you hit on it, uh, Sandra, as well, like the importance of community being there for each other especially as we face like an increasingly sort of hostile hostile environment out there um and we get and people folks are squeezed the fact that we can be there for each other and uh, um is uh, is i think super important so thank you so thank much for, for coming me. on sandra and um we'll definitely we'll definitely have, have you back yeah.
0: yeah thank you sandra it was so good thank you so good
1: Well, that was an awesome conversation, Liz. Um, I really enjoyed it. I found it to be super informative, especially coming from the male perspective. Um, in We live in a patriarchy, right? And we men are absolutely, I don't think any of us are socialized, but certainly men are not socialized to think about these kinds of issues, to consider these kinds of issues, um, or frankly, to even understand that these issues exist. So um, thank you so much for bringing her on liz um so uh, after having had the conversation with her i know this was a conversation you were looking forward to having um mm-hmm. what are your thoughts uh, what are your, what are your reactions to what she had to say and and, and the conversation
0: i loved the whole conversation <laughs> <laughs> obviously i feel like when something is uh, an issue affects you personally i feel like it's easier to be you know passionate and speak um with some and to speak with some authority on the subject. And so it felt really good to get into these things. And I'm actually excited. I think we should have her back. And there's so many other things we can dig into um, from what she brought up. So it was great. I thought it was really fun.
1: Totally. And and what you say there is a great point. I mean, she's a, a, a wealth of of uh, information and of, of uh, just knowledge on many issues but also just like a really engaging fun person to talk to um yeah, on, truly. so you know so i think that we absolutely need to have her back um it sounds like she can give us um uh, a lot of perspectives on a lot of different things um and so and I, and i really just can't Say enough how much I appreciate uh, having Sandra on, but also having you here um, as a as a man again in a patriarchy um, who cares about these issues and wants to be better uh, about about how the role that I play in patriarchy and internalized mm-hmm. patriarchy, which I know is there. Um, mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- this is what I, this is what I sort of frankly demand of the people that are in my life that are white, mm-hmm. right. In terms of, mm-hmm. in ter- in terms of racism, like if you want to be in my life, this is, this is what I expect of you. And you don't have right. to be in my life if you don't want to be, but this mm-hmm. is what I expect. And I expect that same of myself, right? right. In terms of the women in my life. And I, and I called myself up to that same standard. And I think that having these kinds of conversations are such a huge part of. And, and and really try my best. to I don't know to the extent that I that I succeeded, but taking a um, the back seat and trying to shut up and listen um, mm-hmm. and, and and sort of absorb <laughs> absorb, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And it's really, I think the 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 most important thing that we can do in any movement is to get people, especially people who are in the power group, to really listen, right? And so I really appreciate you being willing to do that and being interested and um and it's it's also an interesting experience for me because um i think about these things all the time i see the patriarchy everywhere (laughs) Uh, uh uh um and i think sometimes i forget that it's not obvious to everybody else you know what i mean um think when you know a lot about a thing, sometimes you forget it's not just common knowledge. So it's fun to have a conversation with somebody like Sandy who really gets it, and then to have you chime in with your um, impressions of it. So it was really, really interesting and helpful. And I hope that I can do the same with you when it comes to issues about racism and things like that, because I have very similar goals to you just in uh in reverse
1: (laughs) absolutely and i think that's uh you know that's why this partnership works is why this friendship works and and uh you know i really appreciate that and i appreciate you liz um and uh i appreciate uh we appreciate all of our listeners out there as Mm -hmm. well and um we'd like uh for you to remember that if you like our show make sure to subscribe leave a review check out our patreon and tell your friends to listen new episodes post mondays on all the major podcast channels Please connect with us on social media as well because we love you and we really do want to talk to you out there. Until next time, please care for each other. Share your experience, strength, and hope with each other and with the people you love.